Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome everybody to the Letter from Ireland show series 3 episode 2. In the show, we like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. Before we start, do remember that any resources or references that we mention in this episode, you can check them out at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 302. We're off on a journey this week and we're going to the northwest of Ireland to County Tyrone for today's show. Here, we visit a very special park. It's the Ulster American Folk Park, just outside Oma, about three miles. Come with me and we'll join in the emigrants' adventure, visiting the old thatched cottages of Ulster, laid out superbly in this park. Then we go on board a replica of an emigrant sailing ship and experience what it was like for so many cramped into those tight quarters before arriving in Baltimore Quayside and stepping onto the new homeland of the American frontier, where we go and we visit the general store and walk through some new frontier homesteads and farms. How do we do all this? Well, the American Ulster Folk Park is an interactive park, and you remember, at the top of the show, I say that we walk in the footsteps of your ancestors, bringing their stories to life. Well, That's exactly what they do here in this living museum, as they call it, at the Ulster American Folk Park in County Tyrone. As we walk around the park, we're going to get to chat to costume characters from the 1800s who tell us what life was like for people living here in Ireland and what those folks experienced when they emigrated to the great American frontier. So, with map in hand, we follow along the narrow country path and ahead we see a humble whitewashed thatched cottage with a half door open and welcome and smoke curling up from the chimney. Well, this is really like stepping back in time. The stone cottage we're about to enter was a single-roomed cabin which was brought stone by stone from the foot of the Sparren Mountains and rebuilt here in the park. Many of our ancestors at the time of the famine would have lived in one-room cottages just like this. These were the home of the landless poor. And inside, we meet Mrs. Devine, who explains what life was like for people living in these poor cottages. Listen out too for the soft northern accents of the women that we meet as we walk along the park. Okay, so where are we? We're in the Ulster American Folk Park. And this one-room house here? This is known as a single-room cabin. It is the original house and it was brought from Park in County Londonderry. It was the home of the Devines and he would have been a labourer to the local tenant farmer. Um, would this be typical of a house that people would have lived in pre-famine times? Or? Yes, definitely. Yeah. This house actually is 1798, but because our houses in our park are mostly of the 1800s, we just forget about those first two years. Okay, okay, <laughs> I see. And and the windows and the doors then were added, they said, later in, yes, in they time, were later. in the 1800s sometime. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, they would have used a holly bush or a hawthorn bush to stop the gap. 
And that was it? That was it, yes. And just looking around, there's a lovely fireplace and the, what's this, the bas- bastable, is it, is it? That's the pot for boiling your potatoes in. And that's what you were saying, everybody here at Potatoes? Yes. Morning? Noon and night. Morning. Yes. Uh, but of course, they would have had their potatoes in the lazy beds. The lazy beds are located there, um, as you go out of here on your left, and that would have been their main supply. But of course, you've got fish and rabbits out there, only you just don't get caught. You don't get caught. <laughs> but if you had them, they were the extra bit of flavour on the food. Yes. And we were just looking at the bed over here as well. This is where people slept? Yes, that is known as a pallet bed, and that's where the children would have slept. Um, of course, we'd have, uh, back then we would have had more than one pallet bed, and they'd have been stacked up against the wall during the day and then spread across the floor at night. And mum and dad, they slept here in the outshot bed, uh, with, usually with the youngest child. The outshot as in coming out from yeah. the wall? Yeah, yes. Because it's outshot from the, from the main wall. Oh yes, there's it's a little lean-to there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. And you know, people left these type of houses, did they, f- during famine times then, to move to a different country or to emigrate or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Some, some of them just went across to England or Scotland from the house like this because you needed to go any further, you needed money. And your ticket at that stage was four pounds, which was quite a lot for a labourer because he was maybe only earning four pounds in a whole year. So where so would they have got the money? So they, they'd go as far as they could? Went as so far maybe, as they could. Maybe yeah. to Liverpool, maybe to London, yeah. and then from there on again? From then, yeah. That was usually the way they worked. Uh, whereas if you were a tenant farmer, like the Mellons, um, you had some money coming in, so you were able to go direct to the new world. But if you were a labourer, you had to do it in stages. Stages. Yes. And what you're wearing here would be typical of what people wore as well? Yes. So the bonnet and the apron and, apron. and the skirt, yeah. yeah. Lovely. So. And you're Mrs. Devine. I'm Mrs. Devine today, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Devine, <laughs> for bringing us into your home. You're Thank very you. welcome. Thanks. Isn't that a lovely northern accent? And Mrs. Devine was like a lovely, lovely lady. And it was just like chatting with your favourite granny. While it was very dark inside the cottage, after a while, our eyes adjusted to the dim light. But can you imagine until the late 1700s, just bushes and animal skins were used to block the openings. Windows and doors were only added from 1845 onwards. Oh, what a life. Well, we walked along the country path and onto the next house. And this was a larger cottage with there were ducks and geese and hens wandering around outside. The story of the Ulster Folk Park really, really begins with this cottage because it's called the Mellon Homestead. And many of you will have heard of the Mellon Bank. But did you know that here, standing on its original site, is the small farmhouse where the owner of that bank was born? Thomas Mellon was born here in 1813. And at the age of five in 1818, he emigrated with his parents to Pennsylvania. So the cottage before us now was built by his father, Andrew Mellon, and it's very typical of the cottage and its outbuildings that many Irish people left behind when they traveled for a new life in America. America really was the promised land for Thomas Mellon because he went on to become a lawyer and a judge and then on to set up the Mellon Bank, which is still a very important financial institution in America today. So I was really looking forward to seeing this house. So come with us as we're about to step inside his simple home here in Ulster. 
Okay, so now, this, this is the only house on its original site, is it? It is. It's the only original on its original site. And this is a special house here, isn't it? And if you're following your map, it would tell you that this is the only cottage that's on its same site. The rest are brought stone by stone or built as replicas. And uh, tell us a little bit about this cottage here. The Mellon family built it in 1810. And then their first child, which is around the corner, uh, Thomas was born. And when he was five, they decided to emigrate. Where did they go to? They went to Pennsylvania, Maryland, Pennsylvania. Why did they go? We're constantly asked. They left because all the rest of their relations had gone. And this man was only married after building a house and had their first child. But they did follow them. In 1818. Now we're looking around this house, and this house is is quite a well-built house, isn't it? It's got a dresser and lovely delf. It's so well-built, and it's very affluent-looking, but not when the Mellons left. Okay. Because when they left in 1818, it was continually lived in by four different families. At the same time? No, 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 four different. Until uh, 1958. Okay. And then it was repaired and... Well, to me, it's got a lot of cosmetic surgery. Okay. Like what? Bigger windows. Windows would have been half the size. Okay. Floors would have been earthen or clay. And this is now... Uh, cement. Cement. Right. Totally. Yeah. It would have been cobbled around the fireplace. Yes. And around the doorway. And this room has been built on. And we're guilty for having it overly furnished. You have too much furniture for oh, what it would have been like. I don't know whether Mrs. Mellon would have had a, a colourful dresser like that or not. not. Okay. We would have all these objects for schools that we work with. Yes, so they September come June. and they can see what, what people We have a house have. study or a study of objects or uh, uh, workshops, different things like that. What about the way you're dressed yourself? Dressed to kill because their <laughs> visitors coming. But... Uh, Yes, she'd have put on her best blouse and her best brooch and a white apron and visitors are coming. So I have 90 children from Omouth that's only out the road three miles. Yeah. But in, during the week she'd had a bag apron on her. Did you ever hear of a bag apron? It's a hessian bag because she'd been boiling pots of potatoes and boiling water and baking so bread. And nothing fancy like this. It oh, would be kind no, of a, no, a, a no. rough cloth apron. Yes, yeah. yeah. Cumbersome. A tweed skirt and Maybe a nut jumper or... Keep warm, I suppose, yeah, as well. Of course, of yes, course. yeah. Very good. Ooh. But she would have been childbearing every year. So there would have been a baby oh. here. Where would the baby have slept somewhere? In the cradle. The cradle would have been in the kitchen. It's not so here, there so would be a cradle nearby oh, here? Definitely. All the time full with a baby Families every year. Families were enormous. Yeah. It was very interesting seeing inside the Mellon homestead And as we stepped outside, we looked across at the beautiful scenery of the River Strool and the majestic Sparren Mountains. On a day such as this, it must have been very hard to say goodbye to all you held dear and all you knew and venture into the unknown. But that is what many of our ancestors did as they felt that they had no choice. It reminds me of a saying that I've heard in West Cork, you can't eat scenery. So beautiful as it looks, if you can't feed your family, then emigrate you must. 
So off we went to, to the port of departure, but just before we left, we stopped in on the weaver's cottage where we found a lady at her spinning wheel, busy spinning wool. Here she explains the cottage industry that a farmer and his wife would have worked on around this time. Um, this is the weaver's cottage, isn't that, isn't that right? And you're yeah. weaving... I'm spinning wool. And would, would this have been a general kind of business yeah. that people would have... A weaver, you would have had maybe one weaver in a whole district, but you had nine or ten women spinning for them in their own homes. So it was like a cottage industry before the days of factories. And this is just sheep's wool, but it gives me a very strong yarn. And that's the yarn then that's used on the loom in the next room to make cloth like that. Okay, so you, you spin the wool first, then you get the, the strong yarn. Yeah. And then... And then one, one weaver, yes, yeah. so then you have the cloth. And would there have been, been a lot of sheep in this area, so... There um, probably would have been, yeah. Would, would have been it, was usu- it was usually a farmer, he yeah. farmed during the day and then made cloth at night. There were no shops, you couldn't buy clothes. Sure. But then if she decided she wanted to knit with this, she had to double it and ply it. So she had to fill two bobbins, put them onto a wee stand like that on the window, and then bring the two threads back onto an empty bobbin, which she turned this wheel in the opposite direction. So it's a bit of skill, wasn't there, really, yeah, to, yeah. to making it, yeah. So that gave her two ply knitting wool like that. Mm. And then if she wanted colour, she dyed it with natural dyes. Berries, flower heads, onion skins, leftover tea, anything that gave her colour. There's a lot of work on it, yeah. Would the wool have taken over from linen previously, or was, would it not in this area so much? You had both, yeah. but you never had the one man doing both. Right. He was either wool, wool or, or linen. Yeah. If he had sheep, then he worked with wool. If he grew flax, he worked with the flax and made linen. But linen is much more difficult to spin, or flax. Because right. the flax has no lubrication in it, whereas Will has landed in it. If you feel oh, that, you'll feel that. I have a little feel of it there. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can feel it, can't yeah. you? And you'll find that. The texture that. of it. You'll yeah. find that in most hand creams. So that makes the wool easier. It's pliable, soft, makes it softer. If I was going to spin flax, I would have to have water in my hand all the time. It's much oh, more really? Difficult. So water to water to yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And what's the name of the farmer that would have this and yourself in this we, house? Or? We don't have any. It's just purpose built. This, this one's purpose yeah, built. Just to show you what the weaver's yeah. home, home yeah. industry cottage would have been like. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Well. It was very interesting. It was great to see a spinner at work, and she made it seem so easy, chatting and spinning at the same time. But can you imagine what it must have been like to have to make each piece of cloth and wool before then making a garment to wear? I'm sure there was no need for recycling when you valued each piece of clothing, knowing the hard work that went into making every outfit. But we were again along the path and on our way, and onto the town and the quayside, passing the turf banks, the schoolhouse, and the Presbyterian church, and then onto the 19th century street with shop fronts where many emigrants would have passed before us on their way to the quayside. Here Mike and myself stop in at the grocery shop of William O'Doherty and have a lovely chat with the local shopkeeper. 
This this is um, William O'Doherty's General Grocers, and William had a public bar, and at one time you could walk from the shop into the bar, but after 1920, when the legislation in the north of Ireland changed, it stated that you could no longer do that, and the door to the bar was closed up. The bar was still there, but you had to go through a side entrance to get to it. And this was his grocery shop? And this was his grocery shop. It really was to protect the family, that was the idea behind it. How do you mean, and protect the family? Oh, so that they didn't see what was going on in the bar. Oh, I understand. And, um, yeah. the, young, the younger ones. Um, they, um, it was only in the north of Ireland it changed, not in the south. There's still a few places down south. I think you I, could walk from I've the shop. seen them, yeah. yeah. Often the other side of the bar, two yeah. together, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, William uh, uh, he bartered, he stopped and sold everything that you see, he bartered as well, if you brought in surplus produce he would take it in exchange for other items. He, he, was, an, he was near the dock site so he was importing goods and weighing them out and selling them on and um, at one time it was actually called the China Tea Shop. He imported teas from India and China and Ceylon and blended them to suit the water in the local area. Wow, that was very good. He sold daylight lamp oil, you yeah. got your own container, and he would fill you up with a pint or a quart or a gallon of oil. Uh, in 1893, William, he was listed as bottling ale. He had a cellar underneath where the bottling took place. Can I have a look at the bottle? Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it's his name and all there? That's his name and all on it. Oh, yeah. Doherty Bottling, London yeah. Dairy. Yeah. It's empty now. And in uh, 1895, William died. Then his widow and two sons took it over and ran the business until 1924 when it closed up. But it was a thriving business at one time. He imported uh, goods, apples and oranges from Spain, bananas in the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and spices. But we would say the spices probably were more for medicinal uses than they were for flavouring at that time. So he had everything here under yeah, the one roof? Yeah, on, under the one roof, yeah. Wow. The biscuits were sold loose. All just the biscuit got a, tins. a paper bag and picked what you could afford. Wow. Not what you fancied, but what you could afford. Two different things. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. 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 So they were what they call sold loose. That's right. Loose biscuits. Loose. And the, the, the broken biscuits were cheaper. If you bought, bought a bag of broken biscuits, they would have been cheaper. And I used to think the biscuits got broken in the, in the handling in the shop, but apparently not. It was in the manufacturing process that they got broken. Oh. And then they just bagged them up and sent them off for the merchant to get rid of them. So, so you knew, they knew somebody would buy them? Yeah, somebody would yeah. buy them. That's right. So everything was nearly here. You could, yeah. you could get yeah. your spices, you could yeah. get your medicines, yeah. your... Yeah. Yeah. So, Karina, was this like your shop down in Cork? Um, I grew up in a shop. Um, right. And that's why I remember the loose biscuits because at the very, I, I think when I was really, really small, they had the boxes of the yeah. loose biscuits. Yeah. But there was the counter like this and everything behind it. Yeah. Um, and even in our shop, they actually had, um, you know, what they buried somebody in a shroud. We right. actually had them as well. We right. sold them. But now, that was in my grandmother's time. But There's a yeah. chance this man had the same because he had been yard out at the back and he sold all sorts of things out at the back as well yeah. so yeah yeah cold yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. paraffin yeah. cold the whole lot yeah the whole yeah. lot yeah yeah very interesting yeah and then the did supermarkets you, came in and changed everything did you get credit 
Oh yes, yes. yes. There was a big well, ledger. In fact, we still have the ledgers from that time. You know, for um, people bought and yeah. I I um the, the the local shop beside us was just exactly like this, and the notebooks with the items in it were all just tacked along the back of the counter. Oh. You know, just with the like a thumbtack oh, around right. the back of the counter, and then if you come in, you got your items put into a notebook. And then um, uh, you came back then. Oh, your parents or whatever. Came at the end of the month to yeah. settle up the code. But I had older brothers in my family, and we were farmers. And the neighbours were farmers as well, and their family would have been roughly the same age. So there was boys in that family as well, and they, they were always in and out of each other's house. And um, at the end of the month. When the probably when the milk checks, oh, that's right. When the money came the, to the farmer, the, the, yeah. the notebooks were sent home. You see, with items in it, and my brothers were over in the neighbour's house, and the man of the house, he was sitting in the corner, and he had the notebook because obviously it had been sent home, it was due to be paid, and he was going through it, and first thing they heard him say, "Mum, what's that there?" He says, "It says." 20, it might have been 10, yeah. but we'll say 10. 10, he says, I'm not too dear, whatever it is. He says, one and six. And then nobody spoke. Everybody knew except himself what was happening. And then he went a wee bit further on down. And he says, there, there, there again, he says. <laughs> so one and six. The boys were starting to smoke. Ah. And, and they, they, had were getting, the they were getting their cigarettes <laughs> put on to the... <laughs> so, um... Oh, yeah. you were found out at the end yeah. of the month. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she never spoke with she knew she'd get a telling off. And, like, it wasn't, yes, you know, it wasn't her fault anymore. Yes, then. yeah, yeah. But nobody spoke because everybody twigged the one what was happening. Except the dad who yeah. had to pay it. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That was wonderful. And what's your own name? Una. Una Timoney. And where did you say you grew up, Una? Uh, I just outside Oma, about uh, five miles up the Dermore Road between oh, Oma and Dermore. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So you're real local to the yeah, area. Yeah, and now I'm married and I'm living about four miles away on the edge of Banchcourt Forest. Oh, well, that did catch me by surprise. What an unexpected trip down memory lane for me. And standing in the old shop was exactly like the shop of my grandmother and father's time back in County Cork. I still have photos of the old layout of the shop where everything was kept behind the counter. And I remember as a young child when this shop layout changed and the customers were actually allowed to pick up their own groceries and bring them to the cash till. Now, all I can say was that was a change for the better for me as I was the young little shopkeeper at the time. But wasn't William O'Doherty an enterprising shopkeeper himself, importing teas from India and blending the teas to suit the local water? Now, that's a service. And, of course, the selling the cigarettes to the local boys who tried to hide them from their dad till the bill came home at the end of the month. I must say I had to smile at that story. Simpler times indeed when you got credit for a month and the shopkeeper waited till the milk check arrived to the farmer's home before the shop bill was paid. Well, we had to leave those unexpected 
childhood memories behind, and off we went to the quayside. And here we caught something of the excitement and trepidation that our ancestors must have felt leaving home. We boarded a replica of an 1800s emigrant sailing ship to take us to the New World. The dockside buildings are original, some of them having come from Belfast, and the ship is modelled on one that carried some of the actual Mellon family to Baltimore. On board, we were shown around and helped understand what it was like to call this ship home for weeks on end. Sometimes people were on these ships for 12 weeks out on the high seas. While we had to imagine the ocean around us, stepping on board the ship was a claustrophobic experience. It was dark and cramped downstairs, and as we learned, it wasn't easy to get up on deck, especially if you were a woman, and almost impossible if you happen to have red hair too. Well, now you're on the top deck, and it helps you to see just how small the ship is. And this would be this a ship is, that people would normally have yes, gone on? Yes, these little ships plied until steam took over in the sort of 1860s. But up until then, if you'd wanted to go to America, you were travelling on these. They were basically little cargo vessels. So you were saying about 35 feet, was it? 37 feet in width and uh, just about over 116 feet in length. Wow. And uh, with 16 sailors, eight on watch and eight off watch. And of course, they were a superstitious lot. They didn't like women on board. And if you were a red-haired woman, that was the pits altogether. You, they, they hated that. So you can understand sometimes why the captains didn't let people come up on deck too And we much. were just down below there in the, ho- in the hold That's where right. people slept. How they many did there, you say? They slept there, about 180. Now that would have been men, women and children. The normal regime was to put two adults in a bunk. And if it was a family with small children, say under four or five, they'd be all in with mum and dad wow. in, the, in the bunk. And, uh, and then you were saying if it was a good captain, they sometimes got maybe well, a breath did. of air Well, they did. In small batches, they might have got up uh, to get a bit of fresh air and exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of room even to move no. around in small lumbers, you know. And the sailors just didn't like you on deck. And was all the cooking done downstairs as no, well? No, there's a little galley here. Yes. Uh, and he cooked really from early morning until late at night. Chef, and you would yeah. have come up and got a portion of your food. Now, what they often did was they had little muslin bags rather like our boil in the bag rice except they were made of cloth okay and into that they would put some potato um, uh, a root vegetable maybe and salted meat or salted fish and like a stew yes and then you would come up and say i need three bags for my family or whatever and you would take that below and eat it and that was what you would have had most so days. it was cooked here, you took it down, yes. you wet it out of the muslin bag, and that was your dinner. That was it. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, if the weather was very bad, he stopped cooking because there was too big of a fire risk. It was open fire. And uh, people then lived on their oat cake. I don't know whether you saw oat cake in the Mellon homestead. It's yes. just like a hard biscuit. And it's only oats and boiling water. And if you keep it dry, you could eat it for months ahead. It, it doesn't like, mould, you see. Like the hard tack we used yes, to hear about exactly, before. Like sailor's yeah, biscuits, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. And how long was the voyage the people were on then? On average, about eight weeks. Right. Uh, you did occasionally get shorter voyages, but because we were going west from Ireland and our prevailing wind is from the west, you were usually running against, you know, you were tacking on most voyages yeah. to the United States. Across that side. So you're into the strong wind you all were, the way. Pretty much. And the chances of getting an east wind were 
more likely to happen in December, January, and immigrants oh. didn't go between the end of October and March because they reckoned the weather would be too bad. Really Aye, dark, but storms cold and things yeah, as well yeah. on the Atlantic. And what of harbours did you say people left from usually? Well, in here? the northern, in the old nine counties of Ulster, Derry, Belfast, and Newry operated all year round. They were commercial ports, but you could also have gone out of uh, Donegal. Uh, Donegal itself or Port Rush on the north coast in the summer months more often but the others operated completely all through the year. What years did this type of boat travel? Well all through the 17 and up until about 1860, 70 and then steam took over and of course yes. they lost their trade and, uh, yeah. because of the fact you could have done it then in eight, eight days, wow. ten days you know. Such a change. It was a yeah. complete change for them. And uh, by that stage, uh, you know, anyway, people who were going out were probably at the after the famine period, they were more sort of maybe in, in better shape and better health and they were picking and choosing their vessels a bit more maybe. Yes. And people would sometimes go across to the ports down the west side of Britain and get American packet ships. They had a better reputation. So they'd get know. as far as there and they'd they would get go the to next, Liverpool or yeah. Cardiff or... Uh, or Glasgow or somewhere down that. And get a better um, passage. They, they might, they might yeah. get a better passage on an American packet ship. They yeah. reckon we're better, you know. Well, thank you very much You're for welcome. that. That was really I great to hear it. all about <laughs> on board the ship. Thank you. I'd always heard that sailors were a superstitious lot, but that just caps it all for me imagine being a woman with red hair on that boat you wouldn't have got up for a breath of air in a fit I was happy to step off the ship and thought it felt like more like a big boat really but I must say I greatly admire the vision of the museum curator here at the Ulster Folk Park in creating the illusion of stepping on the boat in Ireland and stepping off then on the Baltimore Quayside in America. This for me was truly inspiring and I felt as if I was really arriving on an American streetscape. So of course we had to do as many before us would have done and head straight for the general store and stock up on some provisions. So we've just stepped off the boat. Yeah, you've left, you've left the, sh the ship, we call it the ship, okay? And that's pretend Baltimore Harbour. And that's where the men and ship embarked. And it's really, <coughs> the curators like still to keep the, the, the Mellon story as such because it's part of our, of our live museum. Of and this is the type of store that they would come into as such. I'd say and this the is the first place you'd have come to, is yes, it, when you'd land? The, with the general store, you were the butcher, the baker, the gunsmith, the pharmacy, all rolled into one. And very importantly, it was your post office. Okay. Of course, to came back go to back State to Virginia, okay. And you'd have been again sending a letter back home or maybe receiving a letter from home to ensure that everything was all right. Of course. Your pot-bellied stove here in the centre, because when Mum had been running around doing her errands, Dad sat around that stove either smoking or chewing tobacco. Okay, and there's a little notice on the door and it says, smokers and chewers, please spit on each other and not on the stove or floor. <laughs> Spit on each other. <laughs> All right, sir. <laughs> Lovely. I'll repeat that for you in case you missed it. Smokers and chewers, please spit on each other and not on the stove and floor. Oh, we could have spent all day chatting and checking out the curious things for sale in that general store. But we were looking forward to viewing the log cabins and farms here on the American side of the faux park. 
I can only imagine how different it all looked through the eyes of the first Irish settlers here. So much was different to Ireland in this new land. Why, the weather was more extreme, cabins had to be raised and some food stored away before the winter set in. And the houses now are constructed of wood here instead of mud and stone. Uh, Wood replaced turf in the open fire. The crops in the fields too, they would have been different. And I saw a field of corn on the cob growing just beside one log home. I'm sure no Irish person back then would have known how to eat it, not alone grow that crop. Wild animals unheard of in Ireland would also have to be dealt with. And despite all the hardships, most survived and many prospered, sending letters home and bringing family out to join them in their new homes and in their new land. And the companionship and support they gave to newcomers was a feature too of life in the new world, as our new homesteader here explains. People were more helpful out in the wilderness. So, this would be the typical frontier style cabin and would be out in the wilderness. And the Mellon family would have lived in a log cabin just like it. They bought a farm the following April and um, this log cabin was on the farm. Then they would have built a a much grander house, like the next one you're going to see. But a lot of families wouldn't have had any money to buy a farm, so when they got off the boat, they just kept walking and took shelter under a tree. Now, if you got off at Baltimore, you'd uh, more opportunities because eventually you would reach the woods, maybe in three or four weeks. But homesteaders on the way to the general store discovered homeless families and they would say there's a poor family living under a tree will organise a log cabin raising bay. So you had to organise all that in the general store because your neighbour could be 20 miles away. So they were all excited. They came from far and wide, young and old, and there was communication like they were talking to the folk. So they could raise a log they could prepare a log cabin in three weeks. Three um, weeks they'd build something like this. And then it took a day or two to raise it. Yes. And uh, they were all excited because they had a barn dance afterwards. Oh, so a bit of, a bit of socialising as well. Yeah, the end and of then it. they yeah. would tell the, the poor mum there's a log cabin waiting for you. I'm sure she thought she was stepping into the lap of luxury. Yes. Yeah. So they, they got together, they helped themselves. Yeah and put things together for themselves. Yeah, and then they would have helped and turned. The next some, family yeah. that would come that maybe were stuck, yeah. they would yeah. they would gather the wood and... Yeah, so more helpful out in the, the wilderness. I noticed the fuel for your fire has changed as well. Oh yes. From back along we had our peat and our turf and now yeah. we have our wood. So plenty of wood, but again had to make sure they have plenty of wood for the winter. So you, got, you gathered it? They their food too, but you'll see that over in the next house. Yes, yes. Food they would have had to pickle and they had to salt their meat or they preserved their fruit in their own syrup. What's then that they on would top have poured then? warm fat over the top of it. Ah. To preserve it. you see it. a nice display over in the next Lovely. house. It looks like the general store was where all the goings-on in the neighbourhood took place. And can you imagine how isolated it must have felt if there was 20 miles to your nearest neighbour? Well, we finished our day outside a fine replica of the new Mellon homestead in America. Four years after their arrival in America, the Mellons now lived in this wonderful house with the increased size and appearance displaying their increasing prosperity. 
This here is a replica, but the original actually still stands in Export, Pennsylvania. Perhaps one of you have seen it, and perhaps one day we will visit it and bring the story full circle. Thomas Mellon himself did manage to visit back here to the old homestead, and one can only imagine his thoughts at seeing his humble beginnings in Ireland at the foot of the Sparren Mountains. So I'm standing at the last house here in the Ulster American Folk Park uh, outside Oma in County Tyrone and I've come through the whole exhibition starting with the one room cabin and that was an amazing sight to be able to go inside see the turf fire and chat to the woman that was there and then moving through through the time when people emigrated from that poor type of house to a better land and a better world and finally ending up here following the story really of Thomas Mellon and he ended here in this type of house. Now this was one he would have lived in four years after his arrival in Pennsylvania, arriving in the port of Baltimore and setting up here. Now this house behind me is a six room house and you can see it's prosperous. And so he did well for himself. And as we all know, of course, became a banker and did really well and came back here to visit his old homestead, I believe once only, um, and died then at the age of, in his late nineties in America. This is well worth a visit and what particularly struck me is when you come through into the new world, getting on the famine ship, getting off at the other side of the port and seeing all the interesting things that would have been so new for people at the time, like corn in the cob, a banana, things like this, real exotic to the emigrants who would not have known or been aware of any of that sort of food here in Ireland. So do come along to Oma, it's worth a visit and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And we've had a lovely afternoon here this afternoon. Looking back now on our trip up there to County Tyrone and listening to my final wrap-up thoughts on the day as we stood outside the Mellon House, I do think they have managed to capture something wonderful there. And it really is like stepping back in time and walking in the footsteps of your ancestors. Well, that brings us to the end of our second episode on the Letter from Ireland show, and we look forward to seeing you again here next week. A warm thanks as always to our friends in the green room and our readers on the Letter from Ireland. Your connection, friendship and stories make it a joy to be a part of this great venture we have together exploring our Irish heritage. I hope you enjoyed the trip to Ulster and the Folk Park. It was actually our second visit and this time we dropped into the Mellon Centre for migration studies to follow up on the ancestors of some members in our green room. The centre is just at the entrance to the park and is there for anybody who'd like to follow up on the histories of Ulster and the United States in the 18th and 19th century. Have you enjoyed reliving this time in history with us today? I know many of our listeners and readers and Green Room members would recognise it as a time, you know, when their ancestors left Ireland to start life in a new world. So one of Mike's letters um, from Ireland is actually on the Ulster Scots and their story. And perhaps one of your ancestors comes from Ulster way back. If you'd like to read the letter, you'll find it in the show notes on a lettertromireland.com forward slash 302. And that's the Ulster Scots story. So, everybody, it's time to say slán. That's goodbye in Irish. Slán galair. Goodbye to you all. And remember, listeners, we'd like to hear from you too. And you can let us know and pass your comments on to us and check everything out at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 302. Just before we go, 
Thanks again for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called The Green Room. You can find full details of The Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. And remember there, green room is all one word. The Green Room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. It's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. You get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at aletterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Well, that's it for me. And I'll be back next week with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán Karina. <laughs>